You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently celebrating the season of Advent. So for more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. I am the, the lead pastor, teaching pastor over at Sojourn Heights. If you're new to Sojourn, to Sojourn Montrose, we are uh, a family of churches. So we have Sojourn Heights, we are, and you are Sojourn Montrose, and then Lord willing, next year we'll start two new Sojourn congregations, and then in the future more after that. Our, our hope is to be a family of churches who love our city well, who love our city by engaging and serving the neighborhood that God has called us to. And so our hope is one day that there would be uh, an unending number of Sojourn congregations loving each neighborhood in a specific way that that neighborhood needs them to be loved. All right, uh, we are week two of Advent, so let me, uh, let me pray and then we're going to dive in. Father, I love you and bless you, and I pray right now, I pray as we get into the text, as we talk Advent, I I pray uh, that you might just open up our eyes to see Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. We know that's the work of the Spirit, and so we're asking you, Spirit of God, to come and do it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, A few months ago, my wife and I were on vacation by vacation, I mean, we were just in Galveston for a few days, so it's not really a vacation, but we were down there, and I just thought to myself, you know what, I should run a marathon, right? So some midlife crisis, car. Some new job, me, marathon. And so I, um, I thought, I should train for this. And so I mapped out this route through the neighborhood, uh, and I went for a run. And when I got back from the run, I couldn't breathe. I was doubled over in pain. My knees were hurting. My back was hurting. Uh, and I looked out, and I thought, that's probably about two miles. And so I, uh, I got in the car and I measured it, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.6 a mile. Like, I mean, who can't run half a mile, all right? And so I started training. And again, I use the word train loosely. Like I cut from two cups of coffee to one. And that was about all I, no, I'm just kidding. So I started running uh, and, I, uh, and I worked my, actually worked my way up to two miles. But here's the thing. Mile one, like by the time I got to the midpoint, it was miserable, right? So my back was hurting. My knees would shoot pain in all directions. And uh, all I could think is when is this going to be over, right? I I didn't, there was no runner's high for me, which as a side note, I think runner's high is just made up. I don't think anybody (laughs) has ever, I think it's a way to sell shoes. That's what I think runner's high is. But all all, like, I'm miserable. I'm just thinking to myself, When is this going to be over? And as we enter into Advent, here's what we're doing. We are entering into the emotional state of Israel as Israel sat there waiting, thinking, when is this going to be over? When is the Christ going to come? When is the Messiah going to be here? When will this be over? And today, in particular, we're going to enter into the despair of Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 marks a significant shift in the book of Isaiah that we'll talk about uh, in a minute, where there is real, weighty despair that the people of Israel were feeling. And and here's here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. I'm going to say this morning that for some, for some of us in this room, for you to stay with us this morning, it's going to take courage. Because there are some of you in this room who know what a life of despair looks like and feels like. And for you to be willing to enter in and identify with Israel is going to take courage. For you to be willing 
for you to be willing to say, I need healing and I want healing from my despair, it's going to take courage. And so we're going to dive into Isaiah 40 and ask God for that courage. And we're going to look at Isaiah 40 under three headings. The declaration, the appearing, the result. So declaration, appearing, result. Look at verse 1. Here's the declaration. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, now that word comfort, comfort. Anytime you see a word repeated in the scriptures, um, whether it's Hebrew of the Old Testament or Greek of the New Testament, when you see a word repeated, it's the author screening the word, right? There, were no, there was no exclamation point that you could stick five of them and annoy me to no end, but that you could stick at the end of a sentence or a word. You repeated things if you wanted. I, I do that, by the way. I don't know why I said that. Like, like I'm the king of three exclamations. And so, but when you, I, I don't know, I mean, I am. I, uh, but when they wanted to just scream something, they would repeat it. And so this is God screaming to Israel, comfort, comfort, says your God. And so we need to ask the question, be willing to ask, why would God, what was going on in Israel that God would say, comfort, comfort? Why did they need comfort from God? What's going on? Well, the context tells us. I've already told you um, chapter 40 is a significant shift. So there's a, a long history of, uh, of, um, of the theological academic world that, that's been piecing out Isaiah and figuring out how Isaiah fits together. And here's, here's what, what we've all kind of landed on and agreed upon. It's fascinating. So if any of you guys are nerds, you want to join me in this, let's, let's be book nerds together. And so, but Isaiah's got at least two sections, at least two, maybe three. So Isaiah 1 through 39 and then Isaiah 40 through 66. And some will parse out 40 to 55, 56 to 66. But regardless, Isaiah 40 marks a significant shift as there is a new audience. There's a new audience that Isaiah is speaking into. He's speaking into Israel in exile from Babylon. So now you've got the nation of Israel and then you've got this nation Babylon who's come down and they've taken them captive and drug them back to Babylon. And now Isaiah is speaking into Israel in captivity. And verses 1 through 11, verses 1 through 11 are asking two questions. They're asking, one, has God forsaken his people? And then two, and then two, can God be trusted to deliver them from exile? And the heart level honest answer for Israel if you read the Old Testament and you read the wandering heart of the nation, you see the answer. The answer is yes. Yes, we feel forsaken. And I don't know if God can be trusted. And the reality is that we are Israel. Who, who in this room doesn't know what it feels like to say, my God, where are you and what are you doing? Who, who in this room doesn't know what it feels like to feel forsaken by God. We are Israel. And just because you're young doesn't mean that you haven't experienced it. I'm, I'm 36, and so I still think I'm a young man. Some of you might be like, you probably got grandkids, don't you? Um, <laughs> but my wife, um, 
who's much younger than me, uh, 31. I should, can't leave that one open-ended, right? You know? <laughs> Be like, who's that guy married to a high school girl? You know, uh, my wife, who's 31, she had her first miscarriage when she was 24. We had our second when she was 25. And I, I know there are people in here who've walked through miscarriage in this room. When I was 33, I was in Dallas, living in Dallas, standing at the, at the train, ready to take my family downtown to go eat lunch. When I got a call, and it was my doctor who said, hey, hey, Brandon, the opening line of the conversation, the opening line of the conversation, hey, Brandon, the thing we thought was a cyst is actually a rare malignant tumor, and we need to get you into Baylor quickly. And listen, the word cancer will change your emotional state in a heartbeat. And so I'm, I'm standing there on the phone, hands are now shaking, I'm sweating, my wife doesn't know what's happening. I'm looking at my wife thinking, I just want to grow old with her and drink coffee when we're 80. I don't want to watch my kids grow up. And in that moment, oh God, where are you? Came very natural. It came very easy to say, God, what are you doing? We are Israel. And if I could take a small tangent here, it's the same small tangent that Marshall is taking at the heights. We, we can look at our society, look at the culture that we're a part of, and we know that there are men and women, brothers and sisters of ours in the Lord, who feel marginalized and forsaken by society, by society and in turn by God. You can look at the events, the recent events inside our country and know that there is a deep and real need for racial reconciliation inside our country. Wherever you land on events, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the tangible evidence that there is a real need for racial reconciliation inside of our country, and, and that there are brothers and sisters who, out of that need for reconciliation, feel marginalized by it and feel forsaken by it. And so here's what we're doing. Um, Sojourn Heights, Sojourn Montrose is coming Tuesday. We're simply... This is where we're starting. We're asking for a day of fasting and prayer. We're asking for a day of fasting and prayer that we would fast together as a sojourn family. And we would pray, oh God, reconcile men and women. Bring racial reconciliation to the land that you have called us to. And so whether it is social, individual, whether it's inequality or cancer, at some, some point, that feeling of being forsaken is coming for us all. It's coming for us all. The question is, where do we turn when it does? Look at verse 2. Isaiah 40, verse 2. It says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is what Isaiah, he's, he's calling the people of Israel too, that he's longing for the people of Israel in. It's, it's hidden, it's sneaky. It's in that word tenderly, the Hebrew word tenderly. It, it literally means to heart. So it's speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. And then he says that, that they have received double for all their sins. What Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel is nothing short of profound here. He, he is saying to the people of Israel that even your exile is my attempt to get after your hearts. That even your exile, Israel, is my effort 
my efforts to recapture your hearts. That God would allow a brutal exile into Babylon so that Israel would feel forsaken in order to recapture their hearts. And so when we see that, when we look into Israel, and we see that in the story of Israel, we know this, we know that Israel was never forsaken, even though they felt like they were. And so when I say we are Israel, this is also true for us. Just because you feel forsaken doesn't mean that you are. Just because you feel like God might have abandoned you doesn't mean that he has. Because you feel forsaken doesn't mean that you are, and this is where it's going to take courage. This is where it's going to take courage because here's what Isaiah wants. If Isaiah were standing here, it'd be weird. If he was standing here, this is what he'd be saying. He'd be saying, I'm pleading with you. Hey, hey, Montrose, I'm pleading with you. What if you trusted God enough that you could look even at the moments where you feel forsaken, know that you're not, and see the grace of God in it? It takes courage. But if you have it, if the Lord grants it, it changes the way you see everything. It changes the way that you see yourself, that you can finally take an honest look at yourself. Most of us, maybe all of us, myself included. I'm certainly talking about myself here. Most of us live our life trying to run from what brings shame. Because what brings shame in our life makes us feel abandoned by God. And so we numb ourselves. Right? That's why some of us are workaholics and some of us are addicted to movies and video games. We spend our days trying to numb ourselves to what brings shame that leads to hopelessness. And Isaiah is saying it doesn't have to be that way. You can, you can take an honest look at yourself, know that God has not forsaken you. Even in the middle of what makes you feel shame, God has not forsaken you. So you can take an honest look at what brings about shame. Take an honest look at your life. And then it changes the way you see parish and the way you see community. Because if I can finally be honest about what brings shame. I can be honest with myself. If I can be honest with myself, I can be honest with one another. And I can finally lay myself bare before one another, knowing that what you think of me isn't going to drive me deeper into despair. You can finally lay your life bare before one another, knowing that what you think of my struggles won't drive me deeper into shame and deeper into despair. And then it changes the way you see suffering. John Piper is a retired pastor in Minnesota. Influential man on myself and I assume many of us in this room. He wrote this article one time that said, don't waste your cancer. And the thesis was that God could even be at work in the middle of your cancer. And listen, I don't want it. I don't want it again. I don't want you to ever have it. But also, more than that, don't want us to miss what God might be doing behind the scenes through it that when you feel forsaken, it doesn't mean that you are. Don't waste your cancer. It's coming for you. I hope not. Stats say it's coming for you. And in the middle of it, in the middle of, oh God, where are you? He is there. 
So why is it hard? Why is it so hard to see life through this lens, to see life through the lens of even cancer might be something God is using to make me more like Jesus? Why is it so hard to see and live this? Well, from Genesis 3 on, from Genesis 3 on, we've all all been governed by idols. Is what 1500s pastors, they used to talk about a lot about the idol being, uh, the heart being an idol factory. We just churn up new idols. And so from day one, we, we all have these near and these far, or far and near idols, right? So a far idol is um, power. I really want power. And so I make an idol of my job in order to get power, right? A far idol is I want acceptance. And so I make an idol of my church or of my parish so that I can get acceptance. And when we do that, which we all do, I do this. Listen, the scary part about being a pastor is much as I love pastoring and I love people and I love Jesus and I love doing this, the reality is I can be governed and I can default to be governed by this longing for acceptance. And so I can make an idol of the church. And if the church likes me, I can feel accepted. If I feel accepted, I feel approved by God. Listen, I'm, I'm no different. We're, we're all in this boat together. We all have far, we all have near, we're all chasing them. But when we have that far idol and the near idol lets us down, we feel abandoned because the God that we have created didn't come through. It didn't come through. And this is, this is us being Israel, hearts prone to wander, hearts led astray by the idols that we've created. And into this, into this, Jesus entered in. Into this, Advent came. Point two. Point two, the appearing. Look at verse three. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Each, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This, this three through five, this is language of what's called a theophany. Theophany is, is God appearing. That throughout the Old Testament, there would be times when God would appear. And Isaiah is saying, listen, the hope of Israel, the comfort of Israel is the great appearing that we're asking God to appear And he did. The hope of Israel is the great theophany. And if we jump to Mark, we see Mark quoting Isaiah. This is what he says. I'll just read it to you. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, listen to him quote Isaiah. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare Your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight, make his paths straight. And now John the Baptist shows up and he says, I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what what is going on here? Why, Why is Mark quoting Isaiah and then talking about John the Baptist, talking about the Holy Spirit being baptized into the Spirit. Well, here, here's what happened. Isaiah, if we trace 
Isaiah, we find, we find that Isaiah was looking for the next outpouring of the Spirit of God. The next outpouring. This is the way one commentator said it. He said, as the first exodus had been going forth in the wilderness under the leadership of God's Spirit, the prophet Isaiah announces the second exodus as a time when there will be a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. See, Mark is saying the great theophany is here. That Christ is the great theophany that Isaiah was looking for. He is the great appearing that Isaiah was longing for and looking for. And Jesus didn't just appear. He entered in. He entered into your pain. He entered into my pain. He entered into his, to Israel's pain. And in the cross, what did Jesus say? What did he say? He said, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in the cross, in the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that you would never be. In the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that you would never be. B. The reality is, the reality is that we're all exiles. Every one of us in this room, we've all been exiled. We've all been taken captive. We've been taken captive by the idols that we create. We've been taken captive by our sin. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he was being exiled for us that Jesus was experiencing the eternal exile that we deserve so that we could share in his eternal home. This is the great exchange of the cross. And it brings us to point three, the results. There's two things Isaiah is going to say in light of Jesus. This is what we have. We have a shepherd and we have a voice. Look at verse 11, Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This this is what he's saying. Because Jesus has entered in, because Jesus has entered in, we have a God who is gentle. We have a gentle shepherd. If you want peace in your life, if you want this Advent peace in your life, here's what you need to know. You need to know that because of Christ, because of the cross, because of the reconciliation that has happened between you and God, God is now for you and has not forsaken you. God is for you and has not forsaken you. God is for you and has not forsaken you. And when you see this, you stop pounding yourself for every little mistake. You can extend yourself grace when you're gripped by this, when you're captivated by this. Listen, I have a, they were the last gathering. I have a a five-year-old daughter, three-year-old son, nine-month-old little girl. And the way we used to talk about this at the church that I came from was we would would, talk about the way you learn to walk, right? So when my my daughter and then my son and my nine-month-old is in the crawling stage, when you learn to walk, here's how it works. You, you start to crawl, uh, and then you sit up, and then you stand up, and then you take a step. And when you take a step, you don't take another step. You take a step, and then you face plant. 
And then you climb back up, you take another step, and you face plant. And here's what I've never done. I've never gotten out the belt and said, hey, little girl, can't even get two steps? Never. Now, I've never screamed at my kids because they fell down. You know what we did? We celebrate, we cry, we high-five. Why? Because they took a step. Because they took a step. This is in Christ. This is what God is doing. He's celebrating your step. He's not screaming every time you stumble. And if the Father is not angry every single time you stumble, you can stop screaming yourself every time you stumble, and you can start celebrating the steps with him. Because listen, the stumble was paid for. The stumble was paid for so that you can walk. And learning to walk takes time. And here's what you never do. You never master the walk. You stumble. I, I stumble. We stumble. There's Jesus is the one who didn't stumble. We have a shepherd who's gentle, who loves, who's caring. And if he's not furious, then we can hear these words with grace and truth that he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And in Advent, because of what Jesus has done, some of you just need to hear these words. You need to hear the words that God is saying, comfort, comfort. He's saying, I love you because I love you because I love you. Why do I love you? Because I simply chose to love you. You need to rest in that in this season. In your deepest despair. I love you because I love you because I love you. Why can I say that? The cross is why I can say that. And then the second, we have a voice. God has granted us a voice to be a redemptive agent in society. Look at verse 9. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Jerusalem, behold your God. Isaiah is saying, to go and speak. He's saying to go and declare the majesty and the glory and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Go and speak. And so we, we talk a lot about how we live out our mission as a church. We use, we use these three, three phrases, and they're good. We talk about build relationships. Right? So get out in the community, build workplace, neighborhood, build relationships. And then we talk about expose them to community. So relationships we build, expose them to community, and then we share the gospel. Share the gospel. And Isaiah is saying, don't forget about the last part. He's saying, in your relationships, in your connectivity from relationship to relationship, don't forget about the last part. Another way that we could talk about, another way that we could talk about mission and how we live out our mission is we all have, we all have friends that are outside the church, right? We all have non-Christian friends. We all have Christian friends, what if we just introduced our friends to our friends? And then when we do, we do so with the aim of one day getting the conversation to Jesus. And Isaiah is saying, don't forget to speak. Don't forget about the last part. This is, the, this is what he's pleading with us, that we would be a people who love Montrose and love Houston enough to speak. Why would we not? It's in the text. It's in the text. Lift it up. Fear not. Fear not. One 
one of one of the realities that I love so much about Houston, I love being back in Houston, is that while Houston is the South, it's not the Bible Belt. While it's the South, it's not the Bible Belt. There are men and women probably in this room right now who have serious intellectual and emotional objections to Christianity. And if I could say it a different way, you have legitimate intellectual and emotional objections to Christianity. And we want Sojourn and this Sojourn family to be a place where you are safe to bring up those questions, those objections, and let's talk about it. We want to be a people marked by gentle conversation, unafraid of any conversation, unafraid of questions. And if I, if I were just putting my cards on the table, there, there are questions you can ask that you can force me to say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but we're open to conversation. We want this to be a place of safe conversation, no matter the question. This is calling us to be a people willing to speak. In Philippians, it said reasonableness, the, the, the gentle logic. We use our minds and we're gentle when we do. This is a place of gentle conversation that we would be willing to converse about any question, intellectual, emotional, as it relates to Christianity. That's what we long for, for Montrose and for Houston. And I love that about us. But we have a voice and God has called us to use it. And this is why, this is why I said in the beginning, it's going to take courage. Because here, here's what's going to take courage. For us to be willing to use our voice, we're going to have to be willing to enter into our pain. We're going to have to be willing to enter into what it is that has led us deeper into despair, that has created shame in our life, and be honest and expose that before the Lord, before ourselves, before our community. Because until we're willing to enter in, until we have the courage to enter in to what brings about shame in our life, we will never see God as the good shepherd who cares for us. And until we see God as the good shepherd who cares for us, we're not going to tell anybody else about the shepherd. We have to be willing to enter into our pain. We have to be willing to enter into what brings about shame that we might find healing in it, through it, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do, if we do, if we're willing, collectively and individually, if we do, oh, what our voice might sound like. Because as we do, you know what we find? We find grace for those who are walking in the same things that we've been walking in. Oh, what our voice might sound like. And oh, what mantras might be like. Let's pray.